Please be seated, everyone. All right, before we get started here, everyone should have a bulletin. If you don't have one, raise your hands on a Bible. You need a yellow sheet we're going to turn to later. It says prayer of examine on it. It's inside your bulletins. So you don't have a bulletin, raise your hands. Balcony up there and uh, over there to the left, too. And uh, if you need a Bible, raise your hands, too. We'll get you one. All right? Keep those hands up because you will need it. Isaiah 43 is our text. And so I'll turn to that if you could. Okay, great. Isaiah chapter 43. Let's read, uh, beginning, I'm going to read the uh, first four verses of Isaiah 43, and then I'm going to jump down to verse uh, 18 and 19, and uh, summarize all the in-between, okay? It's a great text. Isaiah chapter 43, it's right there after Psalms and before the New Testament, about three-fourths of the way through your Bibles. But a great text worth memorizing and meditating on uh, during the week. Verse chapter 43 of Isaiah. But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters... I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. And since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give men in exchange for you and people in exchange for your life. So do not be afraid, for I am with you. All right, down to verse 16. I'm sorry, verse 18. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. So let's pray. And so, Lord, grant to us this morning the word from heaven that came through Isaiah a couple thousand years ago. And that speaks to us today in our circumstances, in our context here, in each of our personal uh, lives. And may you again, Lord, may we enter, each one of us, into the new things that you have for us, personally and corporately, in Christ's name. Amen. All right, now today's title uh, is very simple. It's Disorientation and the Plan of God. Very simple message, very profound message, and uh, in fact... If you, and I'm speaking to myself too, if we can get this and get the skills to actually do it, I can promise you this. Uh, this very simple message will change your entire life. And uh, the title about disorientation has to do with bewilderment and, and confusion. And uh, like most of you, when I, you know, I, I make decisions, I, I want a life that feels good. I, I want a life that's pleasurable and, and has good feelings. I, 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 I want to be free from suffering. I, I want to be free from distress. And so I do things and make decisions to promote pleasure and avoid difficulty. So, for example, you know, most of the decisions I've made in life have been to, you know, so I might experience more pleasure. The school I chose, the major to study in, the person I married, you know, and where I live and the job I do and the hobbies and friends I've chosen, I, sports I play. I, I like them. They bring me pleasure, right? And, uh, and when I think about parenting, you know, my, as I parent my own children, I, I realize most of my life I don't want them to have pain. I'm looking for ways so they can avoid it 
and have a nice, happy life. And I wake up in the morning, I listen to 1010 News and 880 for traffic. So I don't have stress and pain of why is this highway shut down at one in the afternoon. And uh, some of you, you're, you're, you're tired, you know, and you're dreaming. You've been dreaming and thinking about retirement uh, for like 20, 30 years because you're thinking no stress. You're thinking pleasure. I mean, and uh, uh, in fact, some of you want to make a lot of money so that you don't have pain. If I can get enough money, I can pay other people to absorb the pain and I can have a nice life. And, and uh, many of us in this room are in helping professions from therapists to teachers to, um, you know, medical profession. Uh, education, you know, we, we, we want to help people not have a hard life. And so, uh, in fact, that's why you're here at New Life, probably. You want, you're here so I don't have pain. I'm here to make things easier, and I want to be free from suffering and negativity and crises and all that. And, and so here comes Isaiah, and he comes and speaks. He says, nope, that's not the way it is. God says, no, 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 that is not what life is about. And, uh, in fact, you were created for greatness. You were created for freedom. You were created for God. You were created for eternal communion with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You were created that the Holy Spirit might permeate every pore in your body. You were created that your heart might be pure, that you might see his face. Uh, you were created that you might participate in the inner life of God himself. You've got a great future in God. But the way you're going to get there is disorientation. It is not the way you thought. And uh, the pathway is not a life of good feelings without stress. And, uh, and so what Isaiah does here is he, he, he basically gives to us the, the, the journey of life, the journey of the spiritual life, the journey of, 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 of growing up. And this journey is going to be repeated throughout your life. You don't just do it once and you're done. It is the journey. And uh, it's got three simple movements to it. And uh, I'll start with it. These are three repeated movements of the spiritual life. And, and this will be kind of our, our structure as we go into this passage. The first is orientation. Things are secure. I've got a sense of location. I know where I am and, and what's happening. And, and then there's this thing called disorientation, where there is pain. And there is dislocation. In other words, I was set, life was good, and all of a sudden now I have been moved. And I am dislocated. I don't know where I am. I am disoriented. I am bewildered. I am confused. I am baffled. I am overwhelmed. I don't like this. And then, because God is bringing us to reorientation, uh, a place of, of a, new, a new relocation, a, a security, but it's not from number one. It, it's now a reorientation. You're, you're different than you were before. But to get to three, reorientation, you've got to go through two. You've got to go through disorientation. And, um, uh, and this really is the history of the people who are listening to Isaiah preach. Uh, remember, number one, they, they were in Egypt, and uh, they, were, uh, they were delivered from Egypt. That was orientation. Wow, we're, we're free. Then they ended up 40 years in the wilderness in disorientation. What is going on? Manna one day at a time. And then they ended up in reorientation, living in the promised land of Canaan. It was wonderful. The problem was it wasn't just a one-time deal. It was, uh, and they're listening to Isaiah, and they said, well, we did this already. We went through the crises. We went through the difficulties. We went through the confusing experiences of life. And now we're done. Because now we are looking for steady, steady, secure I know what's happening, a little bit of control here. And Isaiah comes and says, no. That is not the way you mature and grow up. That is not, that is a childish notion of life. And uh, this is the journey. This is the movement of life in God. This is the movement to freedom here on earth. And it is a journey. Uh, it is a pathway. And so 
he, here, here's the context here in chapter 43. Actually, these chapters we're in now from chapters 40 to 66 are, are, are very, very significant. And um, I'm going to summarize some of the themes. There's a lot of history going on here, and I'll try to do it briefly. Because by the time we get to these chapters, if you remember a few weeks ago, the Assyrians were the world superpower, and they were threatening Israel. Well, by the time we get here to chapter 43, 44, 45, what's happened is the Assyrians have been conquered by the Babylonians. And uh, the Babylonians were, were horrific people. They destroyed the temple. They, they razed, uh, destroyed the city of Jerusalem. Uh, in fact, the city was in ruins. In fact, it was in danger of never being rebuilt again. It had been so destroyed. And so then, then the, God's people, the Israelites, were scattered throughout the Babylonian Empire for 70 years. Uh, and so, so imagine all the movement. You know, first you had the Assyrians on your back. Well, first everything was great. Then the Assyrians came and all this pressure. Then the Babylonians came and conquered the Assyrians. Then they completely deported the, the, the population or most of the population. And then after the Babylonians, what's happening here is Isaiah comes and says, listen, guys, I know it's been 70 years. You're all living in Babylon now and you got yourself secure, but it's going to happen again because the Persians are coming. And God is sending a guy named Cyrus. He's going to be the emperor and he is going to, He's going to take over the Babylonians. He's going to wipe them out. And he's going to come and he's going to conquer. But God, um, God says, I'm going to use him. Uh, the Lord says, oh yeah, by the way, he's also a pagan idolater. And so the Israelites don't like this plan. And so he, here's kind of, the, you know, here's Israel and Judah in the time of Isaiah. They're conquered by the Assyrians. Then they're conquered by the Babylonians. And then they're conquered by the Persians. So all this dislocation. There's all this movement. And it's very, very frustrating. Because they're just trying to get steady on their feet. And so really, if you were going to study geography, and this is the best we could do here, here's Babylon, all right? You understand this. They're living somewhere, depending on where in the empire. Most of the Israelites are scattered around here. And now the word of the Lord's coming. See, they're, they're in a sense, they've been oriented now. They're, they're, they're here. They used to live here in Jerusalem. And now God says, all right, now here's what's going to happen. I'm doing a new thing. You're going back home. I'm sending you 700 miles back, 500 to 900, depending on the... It's going to take a four months. It's through a desert. Yes, there's bandits. There's going to be trouble. You're going to leave all your security here. You're going back to Jerusalem, which is a city in ruins, by the way. But uh, you're going to rebuild it. You'll be poor. Yes, you know, but I'm going to be there with you. I'm going to do a new thing. And so they're getting this message. And I'm going to use this pagan emperor named Cyrus. He says this in chapter 45, who is an idolater. And he's going to be my servant. And he's going to bless you. And they're like, he's, he's, what? What? He's not even a Christian. I don't want his money. I don't want his help. And God says, I'm going to use him. And so they're arguing with God. They're, they're upset. They don't like this plan. And so here comes the prophet Isaiah. And he speaks this great word to them in chapter 43. Because the Lord is saying, I'm, another change is coming. It's not going to be pleasant. But I'm doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? It's a great, great text. And so um, you're going to make it through the desert. So he, what I want to do is, let, you know, last week, Drew, in, in chapter 40, we contemplated the power of God, right? His, the nations are like a drop in the bucket. They're like grasshoppers. And, and the nations are like a dust on the scales. And, 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 we, and really, the chapter 40 begins with this. Isaiah begins to point to, the, to how vast God is. And, and God is outside time. And, and he can view what happens on earth, you know, today and 15 billion years in the future and 15 billion years in the past all at the same time because God is outside of time. And so... And God says, I'm running the world, whether you like it or not, whether you understand it or not. And the Lord says, now, let me give you perspective on life. Let me grow you up on the nature of life and the way you mature and get free and become all that I've called you to be. This is the spiritual journey. It's called 
orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. That, that's the process. And, and so God says, when you pass, so that when you pass through the waters, verse 2, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Understand this. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. You will not be overwhelmed. When you, verse 2, when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, you, when, or your flames will not set you ablaze. What he's saying is that it's a Hebrew way of saying no matter what trial comes in your way, no matter whatever sort, water, fire, all of it's under my control, says the Lord. It's really the book of Job, chapters 1 and 2. God is saying, I am the one who controls and says, thus far you will take this trial and then no further. And God says, you can trust me on that. And so let me ask you, if we take these three movements of the spiritual life, orientation, disorientation, and reorientation, where are you today? In your movement of your life, are you like, okay, I, I think I'm, you know, I think I'm here, I'm secure, I'm, you know, things are steady. Or how many of you are in disorientation? You're kind of in this, like, confusing in between. It's like, I've got some pain, I'm feeling dislocated, I know something's over, and I don't know, I, I'm feeling, a, you know, I'm, I'm disoriented. I'm, I'm bewildered. I, I don't know where it's all going. Or maybe you've been through something, and now you're in a season of reorientation. Hey, I'm good. You know, I've been through something. Now I'm feeling steady as she goes. All right, now, how many of you would be in number one? Raise your hands. Oh, we got one. Very good. How many are in number three? Raise your hands. Good. Okay, good. And how many are in number two? Raise your hands. Okay, that's what I suspected. And that's a much greater number. Now, what's interesting is, is a, a great scholar named Walter Brueggemann, he he, he, uh, he argues this is the way you, you analyze the, um, the psalms. Two-thirds of the psalms are disorientation. Two-thirds. That's our only worship book and song book we have in the whole Bible. That's why we love the psalms. And, um, and so I'm not surprised that most of us would be in the psalm, in disorientation. But if you're not in disorientation, the good news is you will be. <laughs> All right? And uh, it's coming. It's like David, you know, King David. Everything's going great. He's playing. He's got a great music, you know, job for Saul the king. You know, he's making some money. All of a sudden, Saul hates him, is jealous, wants to kill him. I mean, it, all of a sudden, he's disoriented. He's running for his life. Everything was wonderful last week. And the same thing with Peter. Peter's like, yes, Jesus, Messiah, everything's good. All of a sudden, Jesus says, hey, listen, by the way, we're going for crucifixion. And uh, Peter says, no, no, no. Then all of a sudden, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. All of a sudden, he's Satan. I mean, the guy, everything's crumbling. He's disoriented before he knows it, although everything's going just fine. Same thing with Jonah. Jonah's good until God sends him where he doesn't want to go, Nineveh. And before he knows it, he's in the belly of a fish. I mean, he's complete darkness in this fish, and everything's going wrong. So you can be in steady orientation, and then all of a sudden, you find yourself so disoriented. And I just started making a list of, you know, it happens so fast. And, and just really the disorientations that I'm around just by my role here at New Life, and I thought of, you know, People being nearly destroyed, and I thought about the folks in, uh, at New Life. You know, we have brain tumors. That's a dislocation experience. Cancers, divorces, pain in marriages that you'd prefer death, breakups, adultery, threatening illnesses, job and financial securities lost in an instant, and you're thrown into irrelevance, infertility, miscarriages, wayward children, wayward grandchildren, families where there's hate and bitterness, God feeling distant and absent, addiction destroying you and your family and the people you love. And sometimes we bring disorientation on ourselves. Sometimes it happens to us. 
But the problem of suffering and evil, I, I don't even want to go down that road this morning because it's a mystery of the universe and I don't understand it. So I'm not going to claim to understand it. But I do know, I do understand that, the three repeated movements of the spiritual life, which always includes disorientation. There are no exceptions. And, and um, it is the place where, where God breaks our self-will. It's the place where you are a wild horse that has to be tamed and broken. And somehow God does it through disorientation. In fact, there is no other way to get at that material inside of you. That somehow our, my inner character and your inner character matures through disorientation in a way that can happen in no other place. I've looked for some pill. I'll pay whatever for the pill to avoid disorientation. There isn't any. But the character and the transformation happens in that disorientation. I, something in your walk with Jesus. You know, if you study um, the process of a caterpillar and a cocoon and becoming a butterfly. You ever watched a good you know, YouTube or, or, or movie on it? It's tremendous because a butterfly in that cocoon is pushing up against those walls with its wings and trying to break free. And, but and it's been done. People have opened up the cocoon to help it. And as a result, the butterfly gets out, but its wings have not developed through the pressure of trying to kick its way out and the butterfly dies. It's unable to fly. Something profound happens in your oneness, in your union, in your relationship with Jesus that can happen in no other place but through disorientation. And thus God brings you back and back into orientation, then disorientation again, and then reorientation. You know, in 1991, there was this Texas oil billionaire, a fellow named Ed Bass, and he built, if you remember, a thing called the Biosphere 2 in the deserts of Arizona. And it was a sealed glass world, ter terranium they called it. And they put eight scientists there from seven countries, and they basically, uh, they wanted to see if they could replicate the, the Earth's environment, ecosystem, in an artificial way in this kind of a glass um, biosphere. And this glass dome had oxygen, it had insects and fish and a rainforest and soil for growing food and an artificial ocean with a wave machine, can you imagine? And, they, and the scientists were so excited, initially they planted plants and trees, they grew more quickly than the plants and trees on the outside. But what happened is many of these trees began to fall before they reached the reproductive stage. And they found out, they found out the absence of the wind in that glass dome could not produce trees that were strong enough. The wood was too weak to reproduce. And they found out that strong headwinds were necessary to produce strong enough trees. And it's very interesting, you know, this whole dynamic of why do I have to go through fire and rivers and get overwhelmed? I mean, I don't need this stress. I don't know about you, but this is not how I'm, what I'm looking for in my life. And I like what Tozer said. He said, for God to do his work of grace within you, he will take from your heart everything you love most. Everything you trust will go from you. Piles of ashes will lie where your most precious treasures used to be. Don't buy his book. <laughs> and how about this one? Oh, yeah. This one. All deepened life is deepened suffering. He was an Austrian writer in the late 1800s. Or God instructs the heart not through ideas, 
but through suffering and adversity. How do you learn what you learn? And that's from uh, Jean-Pierre de Cossade, you know. And if you, if you remember the, the dark night of the soul, the whole point of John of the Cross, the reason for this disorientation and dark night was that he says these, we have false images of God that have to be destroyed. And these false beliefs about God that have to be rooted out of us. And the only way they're going to get rooted out of us is not from hearing it preached. It has to be lived. And he says the biggest thing that happens in disorientation is you're no longer following God because of the good feelings you're getting from him. You're actually following him for him. And the only way to pull you from following God for what, the, what you're getting out of it is to pull you into disorientation, that you go through fire and, and water. And so we, so we don't get attached to just the good feelings about God. We actually get attached to God. It's a very big difference between the two. And so let me go back to Isaiah, you know, 43 here in, in the first verses, because what God's saying is you're in disorientation and you're going to be in it, but I want you to understand something about who I am. And he gives us phenomenal first few verses here. Look, but now, verse 43, now listen, I know you're going to, he's saying, that, he's saying to his people, listen, I'm about to pull you out of Babylon, the Persians are coming, you're going to make this long trip, your whole life's going to be uprooted, you're going to be disoriented, but I want you to know something. This is what the Lord says, verse 1, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you. God says, I made you. I, just like I made the universe, I actually created you. And the word, I formed you. That's the word for I knit you in your mother's womb. It's a very intimate word. I, I sewed you together. In fact, every circumstance that's come into your life, I have measured it precisely. Like a potter measuring the crafting of this clay so that you'll become all that I intend. So every trial, every difficulty, every, every pain in the neck, God says, I want you to know that I, I formed you. I measured it in your life. It wasn't an accident. I was sovereign over the whole thing. And then he goes, and then he says, verse, then he goes I redeemed you. I pulled you out. What are you doing here sitting in church today? I actually pulled you out of somewhere, and I brought you to myself. I liberated you. You weren't even looking for me, and I came after you. And then he goes on, I summoned you by name. I love it, verse 1. You are mine. What a, I got you by name, you're mine. And, uh, and that's the word for marriage. Actually, in Hebrew, it's, it's this crowning intimacy. I married you. You're my bride. That's how intimate it is. It, it, it's, it's very specific. And as a bridegroom rejoices over her bride, the Lord says in, in Isaiah 62, so I rejoice over you as my bride. I love you. And then verse 4, you are precious. It's a word for a, a groom over his bride. You are precious and honored in my sight. You may think I've abandoned you. You're precious to me. I'm on this whole thing because I'm bringing you to reorientation. It's not a mistake. And you can trust me in it. And, and, uh, and you are honored and you are loved. Oh, goodness, you're a treasure. And I, I mean, just God speaks through creation. God pursues us. And God says, I love you so much. I actually came to earth and I died for you to show you my love for you. And so he says in verse 5, do not be afraid. He says in verse 2, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's all over Isaiah. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And he offers rest. He says, I want to comfort you. I'm your lover. And what you've got to get in these verses is the passion of God. He's passionately in love with you and me. And he's growing you and setting you free. It's just not the way you thought it would be. Now, just think with me for a minute. God loves us at least as much as the person who loves us the most. I mean, think of the person who loves you the most on earth. I mean, just, you know, I, I hope it's my wife. <laughs> God. 
most of us, we have an image of God in our minds. He's constantly frustrated with us. He's angry. He's irritated. He's disappointed. He's self-righteous. He's explosive. He's unpredictable. And uh, God's more of a prosecutor than a defense attorney. And God's trying to re reveal himself. No, I want you, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm your lover. And I love you at least as much as the person who loves you the most on earth. I mean, and uh, very few of us see God in fires and floods. Most of us, when we're in a fire and we're in a flood and we are disoriented, we don't know where God is. And if anything, we drift away because we feel like he's left us. And so you ask, is it necessary, Pete, that I go through painful and unsettling experiences? The answer is yes. As Teresa of Avila said in the 1500s, nobody becomes so advanced that they don't have to return to the beginning. Nobody. I asked for a pass. God said no. And so it moves me to verse 18. And I want, it starts at, the text starts in verse 16. This is kind of climaxing here. He said, the, the Lord says, this is what the Lord says. God's speaking to you and me. This is what the Lord says. And then he, God says, you know, I made a, he who made a way through the sea and a path through the mighty waters. I'm the one who opened up the Red Sea. Don't ever forget that, who I am. And Isaiah can see it, but they can't see it. And maybe you can't see it today. Verse 18, the Lord says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Isaiah can see it. Because I see it. Can't you see it? In your disorientation, and your bewilderment, and you've lost something. You're, where's God? I'm, God says, see. God, I'm doing a new thing. Something is germinating. I, I love this. And, and, and the word spring, something springing up. A seed is coming up. And that seed is, it looks like God's deserting you, and it's actually a means of blessing. And then the Lord says, verse 18, forget, do not dwell on the past. Now, I could, this is worth a whole sermon. You know, we're to remember the great works of God, but he's referring to this thing called rumination. Rumination is when you're just thinking repetitively about all the bad things that have happened. It's all those negative feelings. You're ruminating. You're like, oh, you're spinning in your mind worries. Oh, if we leave Babylon, oh, everything's so bad already. Look what a mess we made of things. Oh, my goodness, we'll die in the desert. Oh, look how, look how, we, look how we lost our homes in Israel 70 years ago. And oh, my gosh. And your anxiety and your despair. And, and some of us get depressed about our depression. And it's, just, it's just like, stop. He says, he says, forget the former things. Do not dwell in the past. There is a time to stop. And... He says, God's doing a new thing. God's making a way. Key word there is God is making a way. There is a way. You got a picture. Here, here's, a, here's, a, here's a way, right, in, in this uh, little pathway between the aisles. God says, I'm making a way for you in the desert. It's in a desert. I'm not denying it's in a desert. But God says, I'm making a way for you. Do you see it? And then he says to them, basically, get up and go. He tells them to do something. Don't be just thinking about it getting more depressed. He says, I want you to get up and leave Babylon and make a change. And so you may be in disorientation today, and God is bringing you to reorientation. But the way he's getting you from orientation where you were 
to the new place he's trying to bring you, it, it is through pain. It is through dislocation. It is through disorientation. Disorientation is central to the plan of God for your life. So maybe God gives you grace to live to 80 to 90 years old. You will still be experiencing the same movement of God. You will not retire out of this thing. Because God will not be finished with you until he takes you home. This is the spiritual journey of life. But God says, I am doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? And so when we emerge from the painful disorientation, do you understand that your life has changed? You're not the same person that started before the disorientation if you will follow the path of God out of it. Something dies in that cocoon, in that darkness. A butterfly, a beautiful butterfly is able to fly freely. You're able to fly out of that disorientation when you come out in a way that you could not before. And a new place of maturity, of growth with yourself, with others, but you need a vision. You need a vision to pull you. And Isaiah is trying to give you a vision of this reorientation of the future. There is something God has for you. It's like God constantly gives us a vision of heaven. I'm changing your life. I'm bringing you to wholeness. I'm, getting, I'm shedding all the false stuff out of you. I'm putting wings on you so you can be the person I called you to be. But, but that reorientation in heaven is supposed to pull, you, pull us, that we've got our hope and our focus on him and him above. And it's like parenting. If you don't have a vision for your children, you will shield your children from all pain, and you will destroy them as a parent. But if you know if you've got a vision for your children, you will not shield them from pain. You will force them to go through their own disorientation so they grow up to be the men and women God's called them to be. And, uh, and so we are to develop goals and, re and define them and have timelines and make steps and, and not just follow our feelings. I'm depressed. I'm anxious. We're actually to think and focus and go through that new path. But there is a time to follow feelings and there is a time not to. And this is one of those times that you are not to because your feelings will say, stay where you are. This is a disaster. This is a powerful, powerful word to step out of our routines and let these seeds germinate. Let me close this before we do our exercise here. You know, I was reading this great book on, on depression. It was saying how the highest success rates of people who are depressed is folks, when they learn new skills, that encourage them to take timely and effective action. They do something. They just don't sit there. I said, that, that's this text. Forget the former things. Do not dwell in the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. I'm bringing you somewhere. Do you not perceive it? So with that, I'd like to give you a tool. I want to do a tool right now this morning before communion. Pull out this yellow sheet, all right? And, uh, and, and how do I discern? You're, you're sitting and saying, how do I discern what is the new thing God's doing? Well, what's happening? So I, I want to see the seed. I, I want to see the pathway so I can follow it. Well, one of the most helpful ways that God speaks through us is through, you know, one of the ways God speaks to us is through our deepest yearnings and feelings and yearnings, what I, Ignatius of Loyola called consolation and desolation. And so the prayer of examine, just before I, I read this thing to you, is a very, it's a powerful tool Jerry and I use a lot. It's a tool to slow you down, to slow you down during the day, to be with God and discern what's going on. And uh, so let me just read what I wrote here and, and we'll just do it. One of the ways God speaks to us is through our deepest feelings and yearnings, what Ignatius called consolation and desolation. Consolations are those experiences that fill us with joy, life, energy, and peace. Desolations are those that drain us and feel like death. 
Desolations, uh, uh, consolations connect us with ourselves, others, and God. Desolations disconnect us. The questions below are one simple way of discovering the day's consolation and desolation. That is, the interior movements of God through which he's speaking and leading. We encourage you to use this powerful tool each day, perhaps before you go to bed, at a meal with others, as part of a daily office or Sabbath, or even on a holiday such as New Year's or Christmas. The examine. So what you do is you, 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 you take about two or three minutes of silence, becoming aware of God's presence. And as you do so, you ask yourself these two questions. What, when did I feel most alive this week? And, and, so, and when did I feel life draining out of me? So think of Chariots of Fire, a great movie, Eric Liddell, when he was being criticized for, for running because his sister wanted him to be a missionary. And he says to his sister, when I run and work out running, I feel his pleasure. That's a consolation. I just sense God. You know, elders, when we thought about buying a building in Fresh Meadows that was available, we lost this building. I'll never forget we had an elder meeting, and we had desolation. It just felt like death buying this building in Fresh Meadows for us. And it was one of we discerned it was not God's will for us to leave this property. I know when I write in a calm way, I feel such life. When I write under pressure and I've got too many projects going on, and I'm hurried, and I've said yes to too many things, I feel desolation and death even though I'm doing something I normally would enjoy. We had a staff meeting this past week, and at one point, someone was sharing about the conference they went to and about racism and reconciliation. It was such life. It was so much life, and I went home and said, I realized God was just coming to me and to us in that. And uh, when I take a nap, very often, I feel consolation, God. So the question is, as you're discerning, wow, what's, my, what's going on here internally, is what's God trying to tell me? And there are reasons that certain things bring you death and certain things bring you life. Generally, when our marriage is out of order or out of whack, though I'm tempted to blame her, I know God's coming through me in that about some adjustments needing to be made. So, again, there's a place for spiritual authority and companions, but I want to just, and you'll see the other way, that you can ask the question differently in the bottom of your sheet there. For what moments this week am I most grateful? What moments am I least grateful? So let me take, let's just take a minute before we take communion. I want to invite you, and I'm going to take one minute, and just, I want you to think about your last week. When did you feel most alive? And when did I feel most that life was draining out of me? And how might God be coming you through that? All right, just close your eyes and just ponder the last week. Or even just the weekend. When did I feel most alive? When did I feel life draining out of me?
And so, Lord, teach us to discern your will in the consolations and desolations, in the new things that you're doing in us and around us. In Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand. Worship team, come on forward. The ushers are going to guide us and lead us in a communion time, but I want you to go into communion this morning with a picture of the Lord's Supper as marriage. And because this passage talks about how God loves you so much, he wants to marry you. And becoming a Christian is just that. You say yes to Jesus, I do, and he becomes your husband. And when Jesus initiates this, this Lord's Supper, he does it with this language of this is a new covenant, much like a marriage covenant. And he goes, this is my, take and eat, this is my body. Then he takes the cup and goes, this is the blood of the covenant poured out for many. And the disciples understood this was like a marriage proposal. This is, and we come to this Lord ta this table here. God says, you're renewing our vows, saying yes to Jesus. And we're receiving his love of you and, and giving love back. We're offering our bodies to him as a living sacrifice, and we're receiving it. This is meant to be a climactic moment. This is like an altar, like a marriage bed of union with Christ, of such closeness and oneness with him, and it's receiving a gift of his person. And so I want to pray, and uh, I want to invite you to receive his love at this Lord's table. And, uh, and uh, there's tables back there, and there's tables up there on the top as well. And uh, for his love is better than life. So let's pray together. And so, Lord, you reveal that your love is better than life itself. And so we come this day, Lord, to your table, not in our name, not in our own performance and our good works. We come in the name of Jesus alone. We come through your righteousness and your blood, Lord Jesus, and what you've done for us at the cross. And so forgive us, cleanse us of our sins, of running away from you, May right now, may we have an experience of how you see us as precious and honored and loved in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's begin as we worship.
Let's close um, quietly. Maybe Peter, I'm going to dismiss us, and maybe the worst thing, just play that one more time slowly and just quietly, you know, as, as I dismiss us. And if you want to stay and just sit for a few moments, please do, because disorientation is very holy ground. It's holy. I normally don't treat it that way. And uh, it's very holy. I don't know, yeah. So, as we close, our prayer teams are up to your left. And when you're overwhelmed and dislocated and having trouble finding God, there is no greater gift than to have a person in skin pray for you, touch you, and pray God's blessing. So I want to invite you to come forward for prayer. You know who you are. You're disoriented and dislocated maybe depressed as well and very anxious and making some decisions that perhaps are impulsive and not thoughtful. And you've not stopped to listen to those movements of God in your heart to see the seeds of what he's bringing forth. Because you, like me, hate change. And God's about change. I want to invite you to come forward. Don't run out of here. Come to him who sees you as precious and loves you. And that's only good for you and reorientation. All right, so I'm going to pray and we'll be dismissed and the altar teams will be here up, to, up front to pray. So bow with me, will you? So as you leave this place, may God grow your wings like a butterfly in a cocoon that you might be able to fly and be like an eagle that runs and does not grow weary. And may you learn that the way up is down, that to be low is to be high, that to be broken is to be whole, to be contrite is to rejoice, to have nothing is really possessing everything. And may the good hand of God rest upon you as you go through your fires and your rivers. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless everyone. Have a wonderful day.